I've entitled this study, Keep the Ark. And uh, we get through, uh, get into this, uh, I'm hoping that um, you begin to see uh, what is meant by that. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has noticed that spiritualism is becoming more and more prominent in our world today as the devil's putting the finishing touches, I believe, upon his great and final deception uh, to deceive you know, the very elect if he can. Most all forms of media are dominated it seems with wizardry or sorcery or, or magic and illusions of one kind or another, or another. Has anyone noticed that? I mean, I'm not into watching all that stuff, but I pick up on it. Um, and while such things become more widespread, uh, it's nothing new, <laughs> really. It's just more prominent today. Because you see, the devil is running out of time. Yeah, it is. It's more in your face today. It's not behind uh, the cloaks, you know. It's not behind the veils. It's right out in the open now. But it's nothing really new, see. You know, Satan used a form of spiritualism on Eve in the garden to lead her to, to disobedience. And the devil uses forms of spiritualism. What he's doing, he's wanting to gain entrance into uh, the mind. And then he can plant suggestions, you know, suggestions of doubt, suggestions of disobedience to God uh, that may be carried out uh, now or later, see, those seeds. And there is a supernatural power that is manifested in spiritualism, and this is spoken of all throughout the Bible, incredible instances you know, idols were worshipped because they were mistaken for having the power of a particular god and thus thought to be a god or god. See? For example, you know, the Philistines mistakenly thought that all of Israel's power and, and supernatural manifestations originated from the Ark of the Covenant. And anyone who possessed that Ark of the Covenant would rule the world. There was a movie that came out many years ago. That played to this idea that God lived in the box. And anyone who had the box would have the greatest power that existed. And the Philistines, like Indiana Jones, thought the ark was a magical box that could be pulled out whenever needed to defeat any obstacle. And friends, it is sad, but nonetheless true, that the majority of Christians today have the same belief as the Philistines concerning God. As long as they keep the ark that contains God, they, they can be invincible. Well, my question to consider, friends, is will Christians learn the lesson of the Philistines or partake of the plagues? I want to go back to that time. I want to go back to the time of David and take a look at the lessons that God has been trying to teach us for so long, beloved. If we learn the lesson. We will keep the ark as God would have us and not like the Philistines as we'll find out. I want to begin in 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5, in particular verse 1. I'm going to try to read without my glasses. These glasses are giving me fits today for some reason. So please bear with me. Well, yeah, glasses are the eyes. I, I don't know, it might be a little bit of both. Here we have uh, David, he's, he's already king of Judah, uh, but he becomes the king over Israel. It says there in verse 1, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, 
and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. In other words, we are thy brethren. You see, there had been that uh, division. You had Judah, and then you had Israel as two separate kingdoms. And they're, they're coming together. And verse 2 says, Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that ledest out and broughtest in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. This says a league. It means a covenant. They made an agreement. Verse 4, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned thirty and three years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, the same as the city of David. And this is a description here of David taking Jerusalem. And it becomes the city of David. So we see here, here we had division amongst God's people. And God anoints David to be king. He becomes king of Judah. And later on, the death of Saul, Israel comes to their senses, so to speak. <laughs> And they say, hey, we are all brethren. And they, they anoint David king of Israel as well. And he reigned over Israel, including Judah, um, for 40 years. Isn't that interesting? The number 40, how it comes up throughout the Bible. And so David goes and he, he takes Jerusalem and then becomes the city of David. I want to go to from there to 2 Samuel let's go to uh, chapter 6 because with the unity that we see starting to come about in Israel David being anointed of God and a, lo a lover of God wants to bring God to his city, wants to build God a temple, you remember. That was his goal. And so, there's a very interesting thing here that's brought out. Though David loved God, he misunderstood God. you got to remember too, David had spent time with the Philistines, if you'll recall. I encourage you to, to read 1 2 Samuel and, and uh, study this out. David had uh, fled from Saul. Saul was trying to kill David. David spent time with the Philistines. And by beholding, you do become changed, friends. And so David picked up some thoughts of the Philistines. And this is one of the things, uh, God in a box, so to speak, some of that attitude, some of that influence had rubbed off. And here, David wanted to gather all the people together. He wanted to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem. We pick it up in chapter 6. Verse 1, Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. The Shekinah, friends. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart. Oh, isn't that nice? Now, it's a, it was good, wasn't it? It was good to want to bring God to the city of David and build a temple for God, a structure for God, no longer to be in Shiloh, and, but to bring it into the capital, the city of David. But they didn't go about the transfer correctly, did they? Now, of course, we're going to make a new cart to put the ark upon, right? 
It's not going to be some old ox cart. And they thought, well, that's going to show how we respect God. It's going to be new. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab and that was in Gibeah, or Gibeah, excuse me. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. They're making a big show of it, aren't they? They're joy, overjoyed by this. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. doesn't take too much of an imagination to figure that they come to the threshing floor and the ox see some feed there and they kind of turn maybe to eat some feed and rattles the cart a bit. And Uzzah takes hold of the ark. Was that a mistake? Well, look at verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, And God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon uh, Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. Isn't that interesting? And said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obadidim, the Gittite. Now this is where it gets even more interesting, friends. Verse 11, And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obadidim, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obadidim and all his household. And it was told, King David saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obadidim and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of, of God from the house of Obadidim into the city of David with gladness. So here you have good intentions, don't you? Isn't this a story of good intentions? You know the old saying, The, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? We may have good intentions, but those intentions may not be righteous ones. Have you ever thought of that? I'm sure Uzzah had good intentions, but it was an unrighteous error that it was an error. It cost him his life. It was good for David to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem. But you see, Uzzah, he actually acted rashly. And and that's kind of the way, you see, they were looking at the ark kind of the way that the, the Philistines had looked at it. As God in a box, as some supernatural power in a box. And if you just have that box... You've got all power of the universe, see? You can pull that power out anytime you want. And that kind of thinking, that kind of attitude, that kind of belief about the Creator, God, will lead you to death. The same account is found in First Chronicles chapter 13. I invite you to take your Bible. Let's go there. Maybe we'll find a few 
different things here. First Chronicles chapter 13, verse 1, And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, it is seen, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, Sorry, friends, I have to get my glasses. And that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. They had not even dealt with it when Saul was king. Now, the Levites were to be in charge of the sanctuary, to take care of these things. You'd think of all people, they would know how to transfer the ark of God. God was very specific about that to Moses. Read about it in Leviticus. Verse 4, And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shehor of Egypt even unto the entering of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David went up and all Israel to Belah, that is to Kirjath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims whose name is called on it. Again, a reference to the word, the Shekinah glory, God. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. So all Israel is there. Now friends, it is right, and David says so in the Psalms, it is right and it is good for brethren to be in unity. But if you're in unity or unrighteous means. I mean, good intentions, but doing things wrongly, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a good goal, is it? <laughs> There's a call throughout for unity. Unity of the church, unity, but can two walk together lest they be agreed? Well, let's put aside our differences and let's just be joined together in unity. ecumenical movement. The synagogue of Satan trying to pull all the churches together in unity. And we see it in Adventism as well. But we got to be unified upon a foundation of truth. Otherwise, we're not a member of God's holy people. We're not a member of His true church. Because Jesus is the head and he's the pillar of truth in the church. But here's a call of unity. Let's bring everybody together. I mean, Israel's come together. They anointed David king. So David is king over all tribes now. Let's bring the ark forth. He's got everybody together. They're having a big celebration. Chapter 13. Verse 8. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled, it says here. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark and there he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah Wherefore that place is called Perazazah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of, here's this guy again, Obadidim, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obadidim in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obadidim and all that he had. Very interesting. We've got 
a contrast here. Uzzah died because of his unrighteous behavior. All the Levites knew it was in the law of God. You do not touch the ark of God. They had rods that they slid through the sides of the ark and that's how you carried the ark. Of course, it was to be covered up. It was to be carried by hand by the Levites, not put on a cart. So Uzzah died because of his behavior. Now I want you to notice something. Obadiah didn't die. And the ark is in his house. So you could say Uzzah died because of his behavior, but Obadiah lived because of his. He was in the presence of God. He kept the commandments. He kept the ark, not only in his home, but in his heart. The ark contained the law of God, didn't it? With some other things. Aaron's rod that budded. Pot of manna. It contained the ark of God. In the ark of God, it contained the law of God. And that law is the transcript of God's very character. It's the character of God. So, the reason Obadiah didn't perish was because he kept the commandments of God. He was a born-again believer in God. That's why God could bless him. He had the law of God written in his heart. See? So not only did he have the Ark of the Covenant in his own home, the presence of God in his own home, he had the presence of God in his heart. And God blessed him. Let's go to Psalms 101. Psalms 101, and in particular verse 6. There's a striking contrast in, between Uzzah and Ob- this guy Obadiah. And I hope we're learning lessons here. A lesson that God was trying to, you know, God said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. He was trying to teach us that he can dwell within each of us. Are we going to learn that lesson? Psalms 101 and verse 6. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. Isn't that interesting? This is a character trait. This talking, how could Obadiah not perish? I mean, the Ark of the Covenant is right there in his home. It's not in the sanctuary. It's in his home. Friends, let me ask you a question. What was the first church? In this world. Wasn't, wasn't it not in Eden? Wasn't it not in the home of Adam and Eve? Isn't that really the foundational, a foundational stone of the church is the family? Where the father, husband is the priest of the household? Is not God to exist in our homes? Pretty evident that uh, He didn't exist in Uzzah's home. But He did exist in Obadiah's home. And here in Psalms, it says that God's eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. Obadiah was faithful to God. Uzzah was unfaithful to God. He knew better, but he acted rashly. Uzzah did. But here, God's eyes are upon the faithful. He may dwell with me. He that walketh, notice this, it says, in a perfect way, he shall serve me. 
The Ark of the Covenant was in Obed-Edom's home for three months. And God poured out tremendous blessings upon this man and his family. Because he was faithful and he walked in a perfect way and served God. Isn't that right? Do you see that? Let's go to Matthew 5, verse 48. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to share with you verse 48. A perfect way. That's what the psalmist says. And there's all kinds of scriptures I can share with you, but I want to go to something that Jesus said. Here he's in the Beatitudes. He's giving the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking here. And and last week at in Battle Creek, I went through some of these words of Christ here in Matthew 5, 6. And what Jesus was giving here was the character traits for citizenship in the kingdom. And I encourage you to study these words. He's laying out the differences between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. The citizens of the world and the citizens of the kingdom of God. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 48. John 5, verse 48, he said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And we just read in Psalms 101, verse 6, that he that walketh in a perfect way serveth me. That's what God is saying. And here Jesus again, he's saying, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Was Uzzah walking in a perfect way? No. He acted rashly. He knew better, but he acted rashly. Self-righteously. Cost him his life. Friends, when it comes time, we're in the judgment hour. What is going to be said about each of us? Are we Uzzah? Are we like him? Or are we like Obedidim. Do we keep the ark? Do we keep it in our home? Do we keep it in our heart? And Jesus here, he says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Let's share with you a quick note here. It's from Manuscript 34. It was written in 1899. It says, The Lord requires perfection from His redeemed family. He calls for perfection in character building. It's such an old, tired, and worn out excuse for sin. Well, nobody's perfect. I beg to differ. Jesus Christ was perfect. He gained victory for us so that we can be perfect even as our Father in Heaven is perfect. She goes on here, she says, we're talking about the ark here. It was in the home amongst the family of Obadidim. And you could tell that he'd raised his family correctly with the love of God. And the love of God was alive in his heart and in his family. It starts in the home, doesn't it? Now notice she goes on in this. She says, Fathers and mothers especially need to understand the best methods of training children that they may cooperate with God. Men and women, children and youth are measured in the scales of heaven in accordance with that which they reveal in their home life. A Christian in the home is a Christian everywhere. Religion brought into the home exerts an influence that cannot be measured. I'll guarantee you, if that Ark of Covenant was put in Uzzah's home, he'd be dead probably with his whole family. 
But in Obadiah's home, where God reigned in his heart, not only was the Ark of the Covenant physically in his home, but it was alive in his heart, in the hearts of his family members, and God poured out blessings upon him so that all of Israel saw them. All of Israel testified to that. All of Israel came to David and said, the ark is in the home of Obadiah, and God is blessing him. For one reason, that uh, David needed to hear that, David was afraid of God. Here they seen a manifestation of supernatural power. The Philistines believed, because God was in the box, remember, striking as a dead. It terrified David. Because though David loved God, he still wasn't quite completely converted to righteous behavior. But Obadiah was. Friends, we need to keep the ark. (laughs) We need to keep the ark in our home. Amongst our family. But before we can do that, we have to keep the ark in our hearts. When you do that, you can walk perfectly. Obedidim did. Jesus says we can. Jesus wouldn't say, be ye therefore perfect, if it was impossible for us to be. Now, people have a misconception of what that word perfect means. We're not going to have a perfect body. (laughs) We're still going to have a war with certain tendencies. But Jesus gained victory over that. We can have victory over that. Not only through His blood, but through His merits and His righteousness. All we have to do is give ourselves to Him so that He can put the ark in our hearts. You understand, friends? Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. He'd say, Pastor Joel, what's that got to do with us who live down here in this day? Beloved, I'll tell you, it has everything to do with us who live in our day, the day of Jesus' coming. 1 John chapter 4. I'll get there. First John 4. Let's look at let's begin with verse 7. First John 4, verse 7. Beloved, and this is something that, that I was speaking to today in Sabbath school, if you missed it. You know, talking about, we're not, God hasn't called us to be the, and, and please don't misunderstand me, because there are righteous principles, there's tact, there's methods of love, how you show your love, etc. But God has not called us to be the food police, the 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 dress police. You see what I'm saying? God has called us to love one another as He has loved us. And this is what John's saying. He says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Now that love there is agape. It's a charity. It's a brotherly tenderness and care for one another. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Obadiah had the love of God in his family. God blessed him and poured out blessings upon him and his family. The love for God that Uzzah had was as the Philistines. God is in a box. We control God. We have that box. We have all power to do whatever we want. We will defeat all of our enemies. Verse 9, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Live through Him. Through His righteousness. Through His grace. His merits. 
John says, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the substitute for us. He died when we should have. And why? Because He loved us. He had that charity, that love, that brotherly tenderness, that care for us, esteemed us better than Himself. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Let that sink in. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. There's that P word. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him and He in God. The question is, friends, which Jesus Is it the Jesus of the Philistines? You know, the supernatural power that's in the box that you you possess? Or is it the Jesus of Obedidim? Who dwelled in the heart of Obedidim? And the apostles, John here, experienced it. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. See? God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And then he he says it again. He says, we love him because he first loved us. You see? If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen... How can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Friends, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And notice that it's love. It can be made perfect. How does that happen? You have to keep the ark. The ark has to be kept in your heart. You have to allow God to dwell there. The Shekinah. The Word. Let me share this. This is from the youth's instructor. January 13th, 1898. She says, Pure love is simple in its operations and separate from every other principle of action. When combined with earthly motives and selfish interests, it ceases to be pure. God considers more with how much love we work than the amount we do. Take my glasses off to read this font. God considers more with how much we love, uh, with how much we love we work than the amount we do. So, he's concerned more with how much we love one another than the amount of work we do for him. You see what I'm saying? 
That's what she's saying here. Love is a heavenly attribute. The natural heart cannot originate it. This heavenly plant only flourishes where Christ reigns supreme. Where love exists, there is power and truth in the life. There is power and truth in the life. Where love exists, she says. Love does good and nothing but good. Those who have love bear fruit unto holiness and in the end everlasting life. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. We keep the ark, which held the commandments. This all pertains, friends, to being born again, to being made perfect in love through the grace of Christ. It has everything to do with our generation who live at this time. This is our work that hastens the return of Jesus, friends. Revelation chapter 14. Let's turn a few pages. Revelation 14, beginning with verse 1. Here is a distinct people. These are the people who have been perfected through love. That love of Christ. These are the people who walk in a perfect way because they have kept the ark in their hearts. God dwells there. See? And I looked and lo, a lamb stood. Just John speaking again in vision. I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion with him 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. You go back to the original writings and you look at that and it says having the father and the son's names written in their, the, their minds, the character of the father and the son written in their foreheads, in their minds. In their heart and minds. These are people that have that ark have the character of God. John sees them there. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song But the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth, it's because it's a new song. It's a song of perfected love in the heart. And each one of us have the opportunity to have that love perfected in our heart. Each one of us who can hear my voice and see me has an opportunity to be among these people to carry the ark the way God intended in our hearts. And they sung as it were a new song. A new song. A new testimony. A generation of people who have overcome, who have love perfected in their hearts, who carry the ark of God in their hearts like Jesus did. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Uzzah was at fault and was stricken by God. Obadiah was without fault. He walked in a perfect way with God. These people described here in these first five verses are a generation of people who walk in a perfect way following Jesus wherever He goes. I share this note with you. It's from Review and Herald, March 19th, 1889. 
speaking about here, Revelation 14, verse 5, first five verses. She says, John saw a lamb on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. They bore the signet of heaven. They reflected the image of God. They were full of the light and the glory of the Holy One. If we would have the image and superscription of God upon us, we must separate ourselves from all iniquity. We must forsake every evil way. And then we must trust our cases in the hands of Christ. While we are working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, God will work in us to will and to do of His own good pleasure. While you must do your part, yet it is God that must give you aid and sanctify you. Christ makes us penitent that He may forgive us. We have an idea that we must do some part of the work alone. We have thought that there are two or three steps that we must take without any help or support, but this is not so. The Spirit of God is continually wooing and drawing the soul to right purposes and into harmony with the law of God. The invitation is given to the helpless. Oh, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. As soon as we separate ourselves from evil and choose to serve God, we shall respond to this invitation. We shall respond to this invitation. We shall be, as it says in verse 12, we shall be those people that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. We shall be those people. Obed-Edom kept the ark. He kept the commandments. He walked by faith. God poured out tremendous blessings on him as an example to his people, all Israel, that God dwelt in his, not only in his home and the ark, but in his heart and in his family. Friends, it starts at home. It starts at home. Turn a few chapters to Revelation 22. There's a blessing that we'll close on today, friends. Verse 14, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. Blessed are they that do His commandments, All kinds of witnesses ran to David to tell David that the ark didn't kill (laughs) Obed-Edom. Not only did the ark not kill Obed-Edom or any of his family members, but God has poured out tremendous blessings upon Obed-Edom. And by the way, friends, these are the only two places in the Bible that you find this man's name. I'll tell you one thing. I look forward to meeting this man when Jesus returns. I want to know Obadiah. I'd like to meet him. I'd like to talk to him. God poured out blessings upon him because he kept the ark in his heart. And not only are those who keep His commandments blessed, but they have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of New Jerusalem. That ark, David learned his lesson. He learned his lesson. 
He went back to the Levites. They got out the law. They read it. They repented of the terrible mistakes they had made. And then the ark was lifted up. It was transported according to God's will, God's specifications into Jerusalem. Friends, the only way that we're going to enter into the new Jerusalem is if we carry that ark according to God's specifications in our hearts and we can walk into the city. We will have a right to the tree of life. Doesn't that sound good? Is that what you want? Begins in the home. Begins with your own hearts. We read these words in verse 17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Friends, there's only one way to get the ark in your heart. You have to come. You have to come to Jesus. You have to give yourself to Him. Then, you can keep the ark in your heart, just as Obadiah did. I invite you to bow your heads with me. Let's ask the Lord to place His ark, His character, His commandments in our hearts right now. Father in heaven, we thank You so very, very much for, for Your holy word, for Your promises to us. Those who lightly esteem at times your word or, or even care or indifferent to what you have, have given us. Forgive us, Father. We come to you repenting of our sins and pray, Lord, that you will place your law within our hearts, place your love, your character within us. The righteous merits of Jesus, we pray, that you will clothe us with that robe. Lord said, so that we may have your love perfected in us. That we may walk in a perfect way. That we may have a right to eat of the tree. That we may bring that ark that's alive in our hearts into the city. As David brought the ark into Jerusalem. Father, I pray that we will be found worthy, that we will be among the 144,000, that we will be those who can bring glory to Thy name by following the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. Father, please continue to be with us on this Holy Sabbath day. Bless us, not because we're worthy, but because Jesus is. And we love Jesus. And we pray this in His name. Amen.